I can get tonight on the first and last stanzas of when we all get to heaven. Let's sing it out. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be.
Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Say amen. Appreciate Gary filling in for Rick tonight. Rick is sick. He called. He sounds terrible. He's got this junk that's going around. When a man sounds bad and he looks bad, it's bad. Amen. But pray for Rick tonight. Appreciate Gary helping us tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to touch the service and to be with all the things going on, youth, Awana, and then, of course, our study of the Word here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your goodness, and for all you're doing for us. Bless this service tonight. Open our hearts to all that you have for us. Speak to us through your word, and, and Lord, just stir and speak to hearts. Lord, bless our Awana tonight, our leaders in Awana. Bless our youth, our leaders in the youth. I pray you bless them. And then, of course, Lord, open our hearts again to all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to sing and worship. Number 335. Let's sing the first and last stanzas of He Hideth My Soul. Number 
just have to say about that song we just sang about the depths of, of his love. I'm supposed to preach at the mission tomorrow night, and God's just been really impressing me about the depths of his love, how high and how deep does it reach, how far wide it is, but the very depth and the very bottom of God's heart is when he sent his only son. Y'all pray for me as I sing this song. Let's take our Bible and turn to the book of James 4. Appreciate this song, Barani. I couldn't help but think while he was singing, singing about Lord blessing me and using me. And I couldn't help but remember when we was praying for Ronnie to get to church. And here he is serving the Lord, preaching, and 
wanting to be used of the Lord. That's answer prayer, and there's many, many stories like that all across this building. I want you to stand tonight, James 4, and we continue our study through the book of James. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 tonight. And of course, you know my uh, affection for titles. I want us to think tonight about the Frank Sinatra philosophy or the Frank Sinatra syndrome. We'll, I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But look at James chapter 4 and notice verse 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through these first four verses and we'll look at them tonight. James says, or asks, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulteress and adulteresses, Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And then tonight we'll look at these verses and learn a few things tonight. Uh, the emphasis that he puts upon the one word lust there. Let's pray. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name we thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what you do in our lives. And we do pray, Lord, that you would bless us indeed. And we do need you. And we want, Lord, you to put your hand upon us. And, Father, to enlarge our coast. And most of all, to keep us from evil. And I pray, Lord, that you just bless us. Now, bless the study of your word tonight. Open our hearts to the study of your word. Honor the Lord Jesus now in everything we say and do. And we'll praise you and we'll thank you, for it is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. What is the cause of most, if not all, the fussing and the fighting that goes on in many churches? Why is it that many times as a believer we do not have our prayers answered? What is it that keeps us from walking with God and what is it that keeps us from enjoying the fellowship and the blessings of the Lord? Well, as we continue our study of the book of James tonight, we find that the reason for such things is what I want to call the Frank Sinatra philosophy. Now, what do I mean by the Frank Sinatra philosophy? Simply this, I did it my way. You know what I'm talking about? Say amen right there. When I talk about the Frank Sinatra philosophy... I'm talking about when we do it our own way. You see, there's a word that occurs frequently in the first four verses of James, chapter 4, and it is the word lust. Mark it as you read the text. You'll notice that he speaks of the lust, that war in our members in verse 1. He says in verse 2, Ye lust and have not. He speaks of your lust in verse 3. And then next Wednesday night we'll come back and we'll notice in verse 5 he talks about the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. But it's very obvious that in the first four verses that the subject of the verses has to do with our lust. 
And it has all these truths that surround this matter of our lust. Now, what is it that James is talking about when he talks about our lust? The word that he, that he uses here gives us our word hedonism or hedonist. It is a word that speaks of the gratification of our sensual, natural, and fleshly desires. When we're talking about lust, it's not just always a lust for that which is bad, though most of the time when this word is used, that's the idea. But it can be a lust for pleasure. It can be a lust for power. It can be a lust for popularity. It can be a lust for possessions. It can be a lust for prestige. It can be a lust for many things. But the word itself is the gratification, speaks of the gratification of our sensual, natural, and fleshly desires. Like one writer described it, it's in which pleasure is the chief end. And another talked about, used and explained the word as an unbridled search for pleasure. It is a word that is descriptive of the person that lives for themselves. This is the person that wants things to be done the way they want them to be done. They want things to go the way they want them to go. It is the kind of person that only thinks about, they only think about what they want and they do things their own way in order just to be pleased. It is a gratification of their desires, a search and a seeking for the gratification of their desires, doing everything their way in order to be happy. But when you look at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, you see what the fruit of living after our own desires is. And when we make pleasures the chief end of life, we see what the outcome is. When what matters to us more than anything else is being happy, and what matters to us more than anything else is being satisfied, we see what can be the outcome of it. Let me just point out to you tonight three things. Look at them with me tonight. The first thing that I want you to notice is the division caused by our lust. Here again is someone that is seeking to gratify their desires. They want to do it their way, have it their way. And the result in verse 1 we find is division. Look what he said in verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Now, James begins the chapter by asking a question and then turns right around and answers his own question. And what he's doing in the question that he asks addresses the matter of church problems and church conflict and church dissension and church division. Tragically and sadly, it is not unusual to hear a division and dissension in a church. You hear about it all the time. And I'm grateful for the harmony God has given us, but it is not unusual to hear about division and dissension in a church. In fact, I think of a parable that, is, that an unknown author has left us. And I want you to listen to it carefully, and it pretty well describes the whole thing. He writes, The wedding guests have gathered in great anticipation. The ceremony to be performed today has long been awaited. The orchestra begins to play an anthem. The choir rises in proper precision. The bridegroom and his attendants gather in front of the chancel. One little saint, her flowered hat, hat bobbing, leans to her companion and whispers, isn't he handsome? And the response is agreement, my yes, the handsomest. And the sound of the organ rises, a joyous announcement that the bride is coming. Everyone stands and strains to get a proper glimpse of the beauty. And then a horrible gasp explodes from the congregation. This is a bride like no other. 
in she stumbles. Something terrible has happened. One leg is twisted. She limps, limps pronouncedly. The wedding garment is tattered and muddy. Great rents in her dress leave her scarcely modest. Black bruises can be seen welding her bare arms. The bride's nose is bloody. An eye is swollen, yellow and purple in its discoloration. Patches of hair look as if they'd actually been pulled from her scalp. Fumbling over the keys, the organist begins again to play after his shocked pause. The attendants cast their eyes down. The congregation mourns silently. Surely the bridegroom deserved better than this. That handsome prince who had kept himself faithful to his love should find consummation with the most beautiful of women. Not this. And then he closes the parable with these words. His bride, the church, has been fighting again. You see, I think that author there, whoever it was, had been in a church fight or two. You see, conflict and contention in a church is not unusual. But I want to say to you tonight that friction, dissension, division, contention and conflict in a church is always tragic. Many of the testimony of a church has been ruined. And many of the effectiveness of a church has been ruined by division and dissension. Well, when you look at what James has to say, yes, he talks about this division or conflict in a church. Look at these two things, or let me point out two things from verse 1. Are you with me tonight? The first thing that I want you to see is what I want to call the course of church conflict. Now, James asked this question. From whence come wars and fightings among you? James speaks of wars, and he speaks of fightings. Now, these two words describe church conflict. Phillips translated, but what about the feuds and struggles that exist among you? What is James talking about fightings or wars and fightings? Well, under two, underline the two words, and let's just point them out for you for just a moment. Consider the word wars that he talks about. From whence come wars among you? The word war that he uses there is a word that means to carry on a campaign. And it speaks of a chronic, long-lasting hostility. It is a war. It is a war that has been declared and a war that goes on and on. It speaks of a prolonged problem of division and dissension. See, when James talks about wars among them, this is more than just a spat in a business meeting. This is more than just a business meeting or a men's meeting get out of hand. This is a church fight that stretches in the weeks. This is a church fight that stretches in the months and, yea, even in the years. It's a war. But then he uses the word fightings. The particular word that he uses here for fighting speaks of a sharp outburst or a skirmish. The, war, the word war would speak of the war of a war that lasts for several years. But the word fightings would speak of the battles that are fought in those wars. Because war has been declared, two nations are at war with one another, there's going to be outbursts along the way. There's going to be skirmishes along the way. There are going to be battles along the way. Now, when James talks about wars and fightings, he's talking about the course of church conflict. In other words, if there is war in a congregation, it could be division and dissension that is there, been there for weeks, months, and maybe even years. But somewhere, there's always going to be an outburst of that division. And there's going to be an outburst of that dissension that exists among them. There's going to be things that's going to happen. 
Business meetings turn into arguing and people yelling at one another. Church services become everything and anything but worship. That's one of the things I've always said about here and what we'll do. We come to worship. We don't come to fuss and fight. And we're not going to let anybody come to fuss and fight. You want to fuss and fight? You've got a whole four or five acres of land out there. You can go fuss and fight. Oh, when we come here, we don't come here to air out our gripes. We don't come here to discuss our, d- d- our problems and whatever. We come here to worship Jesus and to hear the Word of God. And that's all we're going to do here. Say amen right there. But church services, church services become everything and anything but worship. What happens is there's war there and there's these outbursts, business meetings and so forth like that. I think of an interesting story I read one time in Chuck Colson's body, the book. And in that book, there is a chapter entitled Extending the Right Fist to Fellowship. And he tells about this church, the Emanuel Baptist Church of Newton, Massachusetts. And of course, if you've ever read anything but Colson, you know how, uh, what a gifted writer he is. But I want you to listen to the description that he gave of what happened. He said it was the right hook that got him. Pastor Waite might have stood in front of the communion table trading punches with head deacon Ray Bryson all morning had not Ray's right fist caught him on the chin two minutes and 15 seconds into the fight. Waite went down for the count at the altar where most of the members of Emmanuel Baptist Church had first declared their commitment to Christ. And within an instant, the majority of the congregation converged on the communion table punching or shoving. And the melee soon spread, spilled over to an open space beside the organ. Mary Dodd, the director of the Dorcas Society, threw a hymnal. And the missiles sailed high and wide and splashed down in the baptistry behind the choir. And when Ray's right hook finally took the pastor down, someone grabbed a spring flower arrangement from the altar, threw it high in the air in Ray's direction. Water sprinkled everyone in the first two rows on the right side, and a visiting Presbyterian experienced complete immersion when the vase shattered against the wall next to his seat. And the fight ended when the police arrived on the scene. Unfortunately, those kind of things go on way too much in the body of Christ. It is the course of division when there's a war that is going on, there's going to be skirmishes and battles that are going to break out. But here's the question. That's what James asked. Why do these kind of things happen? Why do you have war in a church? Why do you have battles in a church? Why is there these ongoing wars among the body of Christ? And why is, why is it that these skirmishes break out? Look at the second thing. He not only talks about the course of church conflict, but he talks about the source of church conflict. Look at it. James asks, Whence cometh these wars and fightings among you? And then immediately answers his own question by saying, Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? James tells us the reason there is church conflict is because of our own lust. In other words, he says the reason you have conflict in the church is there's somebody that wants it his or her way. And there's somebody that has this idea of how it ought to be done or should not be done. This is how they feel. This is what they want. This is what they don't like. This is what they dislike. And because of it, their own desires, they're trying to get their own desires and lusts satisfied. He said it ends up in war and, and it ends up in battles. I can, you can mark this down. And I've unfortunately been involved in a little bit of church strife in the many, many years I have pastored, in the early churches I've pastored and whatever there. But you can mark it down. Any trouble in a church comes because 
of our own lust. The Frank Sinatra philosophy, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to have it my way. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. The root of most church conflict is that somebody could not have his or her way. They did not get what they wanted or what happened was not what they liked. And it all stems from our lust, our desires, our wants, desires that are selfish and self-centered rather than God-centered. It's kind of like the man that always in a business meeting, I don't care what they were discussing, he was always against it. I don't care what they were talking about, he'd get up and uh, they'd bring the motion up and he'd jump up and he'd say, I'm against it. I don't know if you've heard the story, I think I've told before, but somebody offered to donate the church a chandelier. And so the pastor's telling the congregation about it, and the old man gets up and he said, I want you to know I'm against it. And the pastor said, against it? Why would you be against it? It's not costing us anything. And he said, well, first of all, we don't have anybody that can play it. And second of all, where are we going to put it? And thirdly, what we need to do is put some light in the building. Amen. Well, that's the way a lot of folks are. That's the way what they want. They live for their own desires and whatever like that. But let me just say this. When it comes to the church, the issue is not what we want. And the issue is not necessarily what we like. Now, we all have our likes and dislikes. That's because we're human and we're different. And we all have our opinions and we all have our ideals of how things should be done and how things should not be done. We all have our wants and we all have our wishes. And I'm sure tonight that if I were to take a survey here on certain things, we would come out with different wants and different opinions and whatever. That's because we're human beings and we're different. But again, when it comes to the church, the issue is not what we want, it's not what we like, it's not what we think, but the real issue, what is beneficial and best for everybody else? And what is beneficial and best for the whole? And what, first and foremost, what does God want? See, the bottom line is not that I get my way. The bottom line is whatever goes on, does it benefit everybody as a whole? And whatever goes on, first and foremost, is it true the Word of God? And is it pleasing to God? And is it what, God's, what God wants? That's the real issue there. Not what I want, not what I desire, not my likes or dislikes. It's not a matter of me and my lust being fulfilled. My longings and my desires uh, being satisfied. No, the issue is what does God want? You see, a person that has the Frank Sinatra philosophy could care less about what is beneficial for everybody else. All they care about is themselves. That's why you have church problems. They don't stop and think, well, this caused trouble in the church. They could care less if it causes trouble in the church. All they care about is getting their way. They don't stop and think, will this benefit everybody else or will this hurt everybody? They don't care if it benefits or hurts. All they care about is getting their own way. And furthermore, they have little thought or concern for what God wants. You can put this in your pipe and smoke it. Church conflict always finds its source in the lust of our members. It is our pleasure being the chief end and not necessarily what pleases God. You remember how James closed chapter 3? Look at chapter 3, verse 18. He told us that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Who's he talking about in verse 18? He is talking about the wise man. Who is the wise man? You remember in our last study we saw in James 3, 2, that a wise man is a perfect man. What is a perfect man? He is a mature man. 
He's someone that is growing spiritually. I want you to understand something tonight. A spiritually mature person does not live, af live after their own desires or their own pleasure. Their pleasure is not the chief end. Having what they want, their wants and desires and lusts, that's not what they live for. A wise man, a mature person, lives by an altogether different standard. They don't cause trouble. They prevent trouble. They seek peace rather than strife. So you see, for one thing, that when a person just lives for themselves and they have this Frank Sinatra syndrome, I do, I'm going to do it my way, it usually is the result. And trouble and church conflict comes from that kind of philosophy. Look at the second thing. Not only the division that it causes, but look at the deprivation that it causes. The deprivation caused by our lust. Notice how James begins verse 2. He begins verse 2 by saying, You lust and have not. He said, You kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You see them being deprived. Living according to the Frank Sinatra philosophy not only creates division, but it also costs you certain blessings. Now, James talked about killing there. He said, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have. He's, going, he's speaking of the extremes that a person sometimes will go to to get what they want. Sometimes a person so bent on, on self-gratification, so bent on having their way, they can go to the extremes. Even murder he talks about. But what James is doing is reminding us that those who seek their own pleasure is going down a path that will end in frustration. They're living to have and living to satisfy, but James said the bottom line is you will not get what you want. He says you're going to deprive yourself of, cer of certain things. Deprive himself of what? Look at two things that he mentions here. For one thing, you notice he talks about in verse 2, unoffered prayer. What does it deprive us of? James mentions these two things. And he says in verse 2, you have not because you ask not. Now let me just stop and say a word about this. I must confess that this statement by James is personally, to me, one of the most haunting statements in all the Bible. I don't mean bad, but it's one of those verses that is constantly dogging my tracks and constantly standing over my shoulder and saying, you don't have because you haven't asked. It's always, whenever I read it or ever, ever, whenever I think about it, it's one of those verses that just jumps out and grabs me the heart by the heart and says, look at what you're missing because you haven't asked God for it. We have not because we ask not. It is a very, very convicting verse. But however, it's primarily spoken to those who have this Frank Sinatra philosophy. That is, they're living for their own self, wanting, uh, living for themselves, doing it their way, and the implication is that those who live for self are people that rarely seek God for things. See, people who live for their lust are people who try to make things happen themselves. They're usually the people that have no desire to pray, and furthermore, they don't pray because they know what they would be asking for is not on a divine priority list. So the result is they don't pray. Prayer is of little concern to them. They don't pray, and because they don't pray... They don't have. So living this way, living for your own self, one, it ends up in unoffered prayer. Second of all, in verse 3, it ends up in unanswered prayer. When you live for your own self and do your own thing, James says in verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now look at it. Verse 2, he says you have not because you ask not. 
In verse 2, you don't even have them asking. But in verse 3, you have them asking, but they're not getting anything. They don't ask in verse 2, that's they don't get. Now they're asking and they're still not getting. Why? You see there that the reason is their own lust. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now because their lust is involved, the Bible said they ask amiss. Look at the word amiss there. The word that he uses here is a word that describes praying with the wrong motive. You ask amiss. You're asking for, for the wrong reasons. Your motive is, in wrong, is wrong. What is wrong with the motive? He says in verse 3 that you may consume it upon your own lust. The word consume there is a word that means to spend or to squander. It's like somebody, this is what they want, and so they go out and spend and squander on themselves. All they're thinking about, they're not thinking about somebody else, it's themselves, and so they're going to treat themselves and fulfill their pleasures and desires whatsoever. James says, you pray with the wrong motive. You ask amiss. And the motive is you're not praying for the right reason. You're praying for yourself. You're wanting to squander it on yourself. You're asking totally for yourself. Now, let me give you an example of this. Here's a wife now that has a husband that's unsaved. He's a hard man. Let's say he's a drinking man. He works during the week and he drinks most time during the week, but when he gets his paycheck on Friday, the first thing he does, head down to the bar with the boys. He spends the whole weekend drinking it up and usually ends up short of money. The bills are behind whatever there. He comes home, he's hard on his wife. He gets drunk. When he, come, when he gets drunk, he comes home. He'll beat on his wife, mistreat his wife, mistreat his children and whatever like that. But here's this wife. She's a Christian, so she starts praying for his salvation. She starts praying, oh, God, will you save my husband? Oh, God, will you save my husband? But if you looked at the motive, it could be that what she's praying for is not so much the salvation of her husband, but praying for relief from the miserable conditions in which she lives. She wants her husband to be saved so he'll quit getting drunk. She wants her husband to be saved so he'll quit coming home and beating her up and beating the children. She, what she's really saying, the truth was known in some cases, she is praying that he'll get saved so things would be better around the house. Now, don't misunderstand me. That's, it would not be wrong to ask for that thing. But what she's praying for is based on her own lust or based on her own desires or the gratification of her own desires. She wants to live in better circumstances. So if God could save her husband, that would make a change in the situation. But what she's doing, she is praying selfishly. Don't you understand something? When it comes to prayer, prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. And it's not so much that we pray for our... It's like this wife here. What she should have been praying for, Lord, save my husband so he won't go to hell. Save my husband for his benefit. Lord, save him for your glory. You see, that's just one example. And that's not always the case in wives are praying for the husband. But I'm talking about how sometimes when we pray, we pray amiss. And we pray with the wrong motive because really what we're asking for is for our own benefit, to squander it upon ourselves. I read somewhere about John Knox, John Knox of Scotland. Someone made the statement about him one time that John Knox could get anything from God that he wanted. They said anything John Knox asked for, he got. 
Well, I read, read a lot about John Knox in the last, last year, or yeah, last year when I was in Scotland, I visited John Knox home. And the more I've read about John Knox and the more I've learned about John Knox, I'm of the conviction that John Knox, he was consumed with doing the will of God. That's all John Knox lived for. So when you say that John Knox could get anything that he wanted from God, really what you were saying is that anything John Knox asked for was the will of God. That's the reason John Knox could get whatever he wanted from God because all of his desires and motives and ambitions were to glorify God. So here, first thing you see is that when a person lives for themselves, they won't even pray. But secondly, when they do pray, they, they won't get what they're asked for because their motive is all wrong. Are you following me? He says, don't live for self. But look at the third thing that he talks about. Not only the division that it causes, our lust cause, and the uh, a deprivation that it causes, but thirdly, there's the displeasure that is caused by our lust. You see, in the verse 4, James tells us when we live for our own pleasures, we bring God displeasure. That not only do our lust, are they the, our lust is the reason for church conflict, and the reason we do not have an effective prayer life. But he also tells us that it's our own lust and living for the gratification of self that hinders us from enjoying our fellowship with God. Look at this verse. It's an interesting verse, verse 4. Look at two things. One, he talks about the friendship that God does not approve. What is it in verse 4? You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And notice what James talks about. He talks about a friendship with the world. The word that he uses there for friendship is a word that means to have an affection for. When he talks about a friendship or the friendship of the world, he's talking about having an affection for the world. And when he talks about the world, he's not talking about nature. I love the trees and the beauty of our country and the water and all of these things. That's what he's talking about. The world, when he talks about the world here, he is talking about a system of things that is going in the opposite direction of God. It is the evil principles by which this world lives. We talk about ABC, wide world of sports. Do we mean that there is a planet out there that they don't have anything but sports on? No, we talk about the world of politics. I mean, there's a planet in which there's nothing but politicians. No, we're talking about a system of things. And when James talks about a world, he talks about a system that exists in this world. It is a system that is going one way and God is going the other. It is a system of things that goes on in this world that does not honor God and does not please God, follow God, or accept God. Now, when James talks about having a friendship with the world, he's talking about us having affection for this system of things that is going in the opposite direction of God. John talked about it in 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not him. God plainly condemns this friendship with the world. But notice carefully, James tells us if there is an affection for the world, it will lead to an affair with the world. For he uses some very strong terms here when he speaks of this friendship. He speaks of this friendship as an adulterous relationship. He said in verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses. As I said, he's talking about is being the same, is the same 
as being unfaithful to a husband or wife. It is a matter of being faithful to God. You see, when a husband and wife, when they made each other vow, when they were married, they made each other vow they were going to be faithful to one another. And the breaking of that vow is adultery. Well, the same thing is true. We belong to Christ. We're His. And we're to love not this world. We're not to flirt with this world. We're not to have an affection for this world. We're not to have a friendship with this world because if we end up being friends with the world, then the next thing we know, we're in an adulterous relationship with this world. We are loving the world rather than loving God. We are being unfaithful to God rather than being faithful to God. I read somewhere a family therapist and psychiatrist, Frank Pittman, talking about adultery. He said, there may be as many acts of infidelity in our society as there are traffic accidents. And he went on to say that infidelity is so common that it's no longer deviant. When I think about that in terms of spiritual adultery, sadly and tragically, spiritual infidelity among the body of Christ is about as common as traffic accidents. It's become so common we no longer think about it as sin. But I want you to understand something. There is a system out there around us. We, are, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. And you say, well, well, it's just a little thing. John Wesley said, the world is anything that cools my love for Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. You trusted him as your Savior. And whether you realize it or not, but when you trusted him as your Savior, you were taking him as the Lord of your life. You have been espoused to Christ. You belong to him. You're his. We're waiting our wedding day. And when we go out here and we find ourselves being unfaithful to God and flirting with this world and becoming friends with this world, we end up having an adulterous affair with this world. We're unfaithful to God. God talks about the friendship with this world. Serious. But then the second thing, not only the friendship that God does not approve, but there's the fellowship that God does not allow. You notice James speaks of this friendship with the world as enmity with God. You see that word enmity? It's a word that describes hostility and hatred. He said you become like a hot, you become hostile to God. When you become a friend of this world and you begin to have, an affair, have affairs with this world, it's a hostility to God. It's a hatred of God. And he goes on to add that this enmity or this hostility makes, the, makes us the enemy of God. Now, what do we mean by the enemy? It means that God hates us? No, it doesn't make, it mean that God hates us. It means we're like two warring nations. And where there's this division there, there's war with one another. We're living on two sides. There's two things, two causes for which we exist. And because of that, we are not in fellowship with one another. There's no harmony there. There's no unity there. There is no fellowship there. We're at war. We have become estranged of one another. We have become enemies. And James says, look, when you begin to have an affair with, have affairs with this world, become a friend of this world, he said it breaks your fellowship with God. Because he says, look, it's a friendship that God does not approve, and because of that, there's a fellowship that he will not allow. You know why we get out of fellowship with God? Simply because there's something in our life that's not right. And when we begin to have friendship with the world, uh, we find ourselves out of fellowship with God. I believe tonight one of the blessings and the privileges of being saved is being able to have fellowship with God. Amen? 
What a joy to be in fellowship with God. What a delight to walk with God and to talk with God. But yet when we live after our own lust, flirt with this world, commit spiritual adultery with this world, fulfilling our own lust, doing our own thing and having it our own way, our fellowship is broken. So what is the cause of church conflict? People just living by their own lust, not living by God's will. What is it that keeps us from getting our prayers answered? Living our own way, doing our own thing, rather than seeking to follow God and do the will of God. What is it that breaks our fellowship with God? Living our own way. Just living for ourselves. Having this Frank Sinatra philosophy, I'm going to do it my way. I think about the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy, and he wrote of a man in one of his books that was dominated by the driving pleasure for self-gratification. To possess land was his highest pleasure. That's what he wanted more than anything else. So someone promised him that he could own all of the land, that he could walk around between sunrise and sunset on a given day. So the day began. Sun came up. He began at a leisurely pace. However, driven by his ambition, he began to accelerate. He began driving himself, sprinting faster and faster. As the hours passed by, his body blazed with fever. He stripped off his shirt and abandoned his boots. And as the sun set, he flung himself toward his destination. And he reached the starting line as the final rays disappeared in the west. Totally exhausted, he died. The only land he ended up getting was a grave six foot by two feet. Six feet by two feet. And I sum up everything that James has said. It's like like the story by the novelist. That when we live with this Frank Sinatra philosophy, living our own way, doing our own thing, living for self and the satisfaction, we never gain. We always lose. Amen? Take your prayer sheet for tonight. James 4, 1 through 4. Our prayer sheet tonight, our church of the week, our missionary of the week, I should say, is one of our own mission families here that we love and we're proud of, and that's the Denises, Pete and Anita Denise going to the Philippines. And we want to lift them up tonight and pray for them and call their name out to the Lord. And then our church of the week is High Point Baptist Church in Gaffney, South Carolina, Clifford Phillips is the pastor. Brother Clifford, his family, were here in our Bible conference this year. I want to lift them up tonight as our church of the week. Then we have a couple in the hospital. John Parks, this is Lisa Bennett's dad. Visited John today. He's not doing well. And we really need to pray for John tonight. Then Kenneth Long uh, had some uh, surgery done on this artery on the side uh, in his neck there. He's in surgical intensive care, intensive care at Park Ridge. Saw him today. And he's doing, we want to keep on praying for him. All of you will. Let's come together around the altar. Let's do this tonight. Lord, I don't want to live for self. I, I, I like being happy. But I found out a long time ago that I live for God's plan, purposes, and follow his will in my life and live for others, I'll be the happiest person in the world. It's only when I live with a Frank Sinatra philosophy, we'll do it my way, that I'll never be happy. It's never fulfilled. I want you to come. Let's just ask the Lord. Lord, help me to always be governed by your will and your word and want what you want and seek what you want and follow your will. As we do so, we'll pray for our missionary of the week and our church of the week tonight. 
and these things. And then, of course, let's pray for Sunday. Pray the Lord to bless and pray the Lord to meet needs. And uh, faith teams, our young adult faith begin on Monday night. We're excited about that. Adult faith begins next Thursday night. All these things, let's pray for and lift them up tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, first of all, we come to pray for the Denises. We thank you for them. Thank you, Lord, for sending them our way, for entrusting them, them into our care. Help us to be a church, a home church that they need. God, continue to bless and supply their support. Thank you for the faithfulness and their commitment to getting to the field. And I know their heart is there. And so I pray you would bless them and help them to raise the support they need to get to the field. But bless them. Watch over Pete as he travels from place to place to share the Word of God. And then as he gets to place, place, use him for your honor and glory. Thank you, Brother Clifford. I pray, Lord, that you bless him, bless his church in Gaffney. May the hand of God be upon them and do great things for him. Thank you for his friendship through the years. Bless his ministry. Thank you, Lord, for how you've used him in my life and the early days of being saved and preaching. God, just bless him tonight in a special way. Then touch the host those in the hospital, meet their needs. And Father, all the things going on here, we pray your blessings to be upon them. I pray, Lord, that you take this church and do great things. On the Lord's day, may the presence and power of God be here in a marvelous way. All the things that we're doing and all the things we're striving for, we pray, dear God, that you will bless and pray, dear God, that you will move. Father, take, take our church and, Lord, capture our hearts for you. Tune our hearts, as the songwriter said, to sing thy grace. Father, help us not to live according to our lust. Because, Lord, when we live for ourselves, so many things as the result. Lord, even church trouble and being deprived of the blessings you have through us, for us through prayer. And then, Lord, of course, just not been able to enjoy your fellowship. Lord, help us to live according to your will and your word. Touch now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are you glad you're a Christian tonight? Say amen. You're dismissed. Shake hands in fellowship as you leave.